Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh. oh, nice to see you all. Nice to see you. It's not so easy to see you, but uh, but I see you <coughs> as best we can. That's as, as well as we ever see each other. So uh, I'm so uh, grateful to be here. You know, we had an initiation ceremony last night. Thirteen people took the precepts here. Uh, or we said they received the precepts. So the cool thing is, well, the really exciting thing you do is someone gives you the opportunity to take up the ethics of this tradition as your path of living. It's a very beautiful choice, so I'm really grateful to have been a part of it. Uh, I'd like to particularly just acknowledge my gratitude to Katie Albright, Archidin, and Rosemary Taylor for putting a lot of work into making the ceremony very beautiful and coherent. And uh, <clears throat> also to uh, Fiona and Rosemary, who spent about six months sewing with people. A beautiful practice of sewing our, our ritual garments that symbolize our commitment. And of course, to all the initiates. Oh, how much gratitude that you are willing to just say, I'm going to make my life about being there for everyone. About living the possibility that we can all be free from suffering together. Very beautiful. <clears throat> so my talk, uh, what did I call it? Sangha, Intimacy, Teachers, and Power. Oh my. Oh, that's four words. So I'm going to base this on a couple uh, sutras from the Pali Canon. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a class on Polycanon text next year. And that gets me excited. So, uh, this first sutra I'm going to read is just a, an exchange between Ananda and the Buddha. And uh, Ananda was a person, he was, I think, a cousin of the Buddha who basically devoted his entire adult life to caring for and supporting um, the Buddha. He was there constantly, you read through the sutras, he was there with the Buddha. Um, understanding his teachings, memorizing his teachings, sharing his teachings, um, caring for him when he was ill, uh, <clears throat> helping him when he had other difficulties, when the Buddha wanted to be in retreat and people wanted to bug him, another would say, no, give the guy a break. It's a very sweet and beautiful relationship between these two people. But Ananda very much uh, devoted to supporting uh, his teacher. So, I'll read this sutra, which I think for some of you will be quite familiar. <clears throat> Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling among the Shakyans, where there was a town of the Shakyans named Nagaraka. Then the Venerable Ananda approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, sat down to one side, and said, Venerable sir, this is half of the spiritual life. Good friendship, good companionship, and good comradeship. The Buddha said, not so, Ananda, not so, Ananda. This is the entire spiritual life, Ananda. Good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. 
Well, that's pretty nice. You like have a whole, you're like this icon of spiritual teaching, revered throughout the land, and someone who cares for you and is close to you says, geez, I think half of this whole thing is just good friendship. And you say, no way. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. What an affirmation of Ananda's mode of practice. <clears throat> anyway, I want to read the whole sutra here. It's 27 pages long. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is the entire spiritual life of Ananda. Good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. When a monk has a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade, it is to be expected that he will develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path. And how Ananda does a monk with a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path? Here, Ananda, a monk develops holistic view, which is based upon seclusion, dispassion, and cessation, maturing in release. He develops holistic intention, holistic speech, holistic action, holistic livelihood, holistic effort, holistic mindfulness, and holistic concentration, all based on seclusion, dispassion, and cessation, which matures in release from suffering. It is in this way, Ananda, that a monk with a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade develops and cultivates the Noble Eightfold Path. By following this method too, Ananda, it may be understood how the entire spiritual life is good friendship, good companionship, and good comradeship. By relying upon me as a good friend, Ananda, being subject to birth or freed from birth, being subject to aging or freed from aging, being subject to death or freed from death, being subject to sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair, or freed from sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair, by this method, Ananda, it may be understood how the entire spiritual life is good friendship, good companionship, and good comradeship. <clears throat> so I'm aware that the, uh, the literary style of 2,500 years ago, which actually I, I made some adjustments to the language to make it a little more comprehensible as I was reading, is it could be like, what are we talking about? This sounds so stilted. Well, people talked pretty differently 2,500 years ago, apparently. Actually, you can probably find people like three miles from here who talk pretty differently. Or maybe two blocks. Or maybe in this room. <clears throat> so, uh, this first paragraph uh, is really just acknowledging the importance of relationship to the possibility that we can get free from suffering. Um, you know, we have this emerging uh, sense that meditation is a value in, in the United States. Lots of people want to meditate. Um, but as I read, you know, I read the New York Times, and the, everyone has their wellness articles, and like every wellness article mentions that you should meditate. Have you noticed that now? <laughs> it's like, well, you can take this medicine, but also meditation would help. I'm exaggerating, but it's, it's a lot. But the thing is, the way this seems to be communicated is meditation is just something that you, you can kind of do on your own. You do it for a few minutes every morning by yourself. And I'm sure that is helpful. Um, I have experienced it as helpful. But that's really not what this teaching is about. 
um, this teaching, which is the source of the meditation methods that are being talked about in these books. This is about a collective practice that is about relationship. And in fact, when we practice zazen, what we're doing is we are here recognizing the totality of relationship. Just to be here with everything as it is. Total intimacy. But, uh, we can also talk to people. That's another way to recognize relationship. Or be quiet with them. What a beautiful way. Just uh, work together in the garden. Oops, hold on, folks. Something strange has happened here. <clears throat> okay. So in the second paragraph, Urmuzan, uh, and he says, well, what do I mean when I say uh, good friendship is the whole of the noble equal path? And he says, I mean, what it means to be a good friend is that you have helped people understand, to paraphrase the Eightfold Path, you have helped people understand that they're suffering, you can do something about it, and the way to do something about it is to act ethically and practice meditation and train the mind. So, like, I think good friendship is, like, uh, a lot of things. I don't normally think good friendship means helping me develop the Eightfold Path. So this is where he goes, oh, I give you a little twist. You thought it was just hanging out with people and doing whatever you wanted to. Um, I used to think it was like going to the bar every night. Turned out those good friends were good friends, but not good friends in the ultimate sense. Um, people that I love, but ultimately, were they helping me be free from suffering? Or helping you be free from suffering? I'm not quite sure. Not that going to the bar is bad. You can go to the bar and help each other develop a full path. I think that's possible. I will not be there with you. <laughs> uh, because I'm a recovering alcoholic, it's not a good spot for me. So anyway, um, yeah, so this is what it means. So one is like, oh, invites you into the beauty of intimacy, paragraph one. Paragraph two is like, well, what's this about? We can realize that friendship can be about getting free from suffering by cultivating the Eightfold Path. Um, this does not mean that you need to go to all your friends and explain it to them, uh, which is generally unpopular. <laughs> so, uh, but you can model it. You can model it. You can really be there for them when they speak. You can speak in a way that's true, kind, and timely. You can engage in activities that are conducive to diminishing suffering. Yeah. And uh, you can find people who help you do that. You can find people who help you do that. Uh, I encourage that. Uh, it's good to have friends that are supporting you in really moving forward. Now, I don't want to get too extreme, though. I mean, there are times in life where you have to say, I'm not going to hang out with these people because they are really not helping me. You know? Uh, going back to my mentioning on a recovering alcoholic, at one time I just called all my friends and I said, you probably won't see me for a few years, if ever again. Because it just is too dangerous for me to spend time with you because of the kind of things that we do together. And it was a very, very hard decision. Um, and some of those people are really good friends and we're close again now. Some of them are dead. And uh, some of them I don't know. Uh, but ultimately, that choice 
to recognize what are the safe boundaries and healthy boundaries for me was important. And although you may not have quite as extreme a circumstance, you can be like, you know what, this relationship isn't serving me. I'm going to spend less time in it. That's okay to do. You don't have to do it by judging people or feeling like you're getting rid of them or escaping them. You can just be like, I need to understand what actually supports me on the path. But we don't need to be extreme about this. You can also realize, oh, I can be around some people where maybe it's not the perfect relationship, but I love them, and somehow something good is happening here. Yeah, well, we have lots of relationships like that. It's, it's good. So there's room for discernment. Room for discernment. <clears throat> Paragraph 3 expresses the part of this that no one ever mentions. So I hear people talk about the sutra. All, how many people knew this something of this sutra before this talk? Not that many. Wow. So I, a lot of people will be like, oh, the whole of the noble path is good friendship. It's a very popular. But take it in. See, if you are not familiar with this, oh, that's enough. But people don't mention that in the third paragraph of the sutras, Buddha says, another way to understand this is, depending on me, your teacher, the Buddha, that's what a good friend is. I am your good friend because I am helping you attain release from suffering. Which sounds a little lofty, doesn't it? I think it would be a little bit weird. I was like, Kim? Now, dependent on me, that's what a good friend is. I don't think that's a good idea. Don't go to your friend to do that. So it's, the Buddha is very willing to say, I am powerful. He has no compunction about it. Whether you like that or not, it's very evident throughout the tradition. It is in dependence on me as an admirable friend that being subject to sorrow, pain, dejection, and despair are freed from sorrow, pain, dejection, and despair. Oh, wow. All right. So then we have the idea of taking refuge in the Buddha. We have icons of, well, this is Mahapajapati. But she's enlightened, so... I'll take refuge in her. She's a good friend to me. <clears throat> One of the twists, though, that is generally being emphasized in talking about polycanon texts is the use of ambiguity to begin to open the door to the non-duality that will characterize Mahayana Buddhism. Which is, he says, it, he says, this is another way to understand what good friendship is. And he says, it is the independence on me as an admirable friend that beings get free. So the thing is, if you can say it is independence on me as an admirable friend that people get free from suffering, <laughs> then you are being a good friend. In the exact same way that Buddha is claiming distinctly as himself, as the Buddha, is helping people get free and is a good friend. So that use, he doesn't say it's dependent on me as the Buddha. Does anyone can say this? But don't get too excited. It might be a little dangerous. Oh, everyone's getting out. You ever get that feeling? Oh, I'm really helping out. Well, maybe not. Somebody does. We talk a lot here about, you know, people, there's a lot of people who feel really bad about themselves. Hey, some of us get pretty puffed up. That's possible too. Some of us like to oscillate. <laughs> Grandiosity to shame. Oh, it's very real. Very real. But again, the 
this is just a reminder that what it would mean to be a good friend is to help people become free from suffering. That's real friendship. You can do that a lot of ways. Laughing is cool. Uh, hugging, making food, going for a walk, listening. A lot of options. <clears throat> so this last paragraph points to an interesting uh, tension between uh, a very clear hierarchy where the Buddha is saying, I am the good friend. I am the good friend that you need. And I'm the, no one else really knows how to get you free. Oh, geez, that sounds a little scary. But he's saying there's a lot of other people trying to figure out how to get free from suffering, and it doesn't seem to be working. And I have to say, I don't know if the Buddha is really true that he can get us all free, but it's pretty evident 2,500 years later that we haven't figured out how to do it yet. There's a lot of suffering going on. So the path is, uh, continues. But anyway, this very clear hierarchy, I am this icon. At the same time, he says, well, if you can say that people are becoming free from suffering, then anybody can do that. Total absence of hierarchy. So we have a very clear hierarchy, the total absence of hierarchy, simultaneously expressed in one set of sentences about what good friendship means. And uh, <clears throat> this rings true for me. You know, I can groove on some anarchy. I don't know about you guys. You know, you just like run around in the backyard with a bunch of kids, and who's inventing the game? I don't know. Changes all the time. It's delightful. There's freedom. There's joy. Good friendship. It's cool. Or just like the way we're going to do this Dharma study. So just sit in a circle and everyone speaks. We do council process. Cool. But on the other hand, I think hierarchy has utility. You know, I really appreciate that someone else figured out how to do all this stuff. <laughs> right? I can trust them. Oh, you have the authority to determine how we're going to do our online programming, and I thank you for that. Uh, certainly Kimberly here, but many other people as well. So, yeah, I appreciate that. So, <clears throat> this uh, week here, we had a, a conference in this room, in this building, uh, called the Minnesota Intersanga Ethics and Leadership Summit. So MZMC got a grant to host this conference. We had 28 uh, Buddhist teachers from 11 different sanghas, representing a whole bunch of different traditions. We have Shin Buddhist ministers, Zen priests, Vipassana teachers, the Tibetan Rinpoche, other Tibetan teachers, uh, order of interbeing teachers. I might be leaving someone out. It was really cool. Wow, it was really cool. And what we were doing is you're exploring, we're getting what's called right use of power training. So understanding how power dynamics work in a hierarchical system so that we can learn how to be aware of problems that can arrive and diminish harm. Because harm comes in this life and it comes at times through hierarchical systems and it has definitely come because Buddhist clergy have had a lot of power and have abused and misused it. So we wanted to get together and figure out how can we mitigate this and diminish it and do better. So it's quite wonderful. Um, 
So one way, one thing that came out of this is just to recognize that teachers need to remember that they have power. So you can't like pretend you don't. Oh, we're all this together. It's like, yeah, I have a, if, if I can decide who gets ordained, I have a lot of authority here. So I need to remember that even if I want to just be like, I'm, I'm with you. And we all need to kind of hold that carefully and respect it. And another thing is just that students need to recognize they have power. Can't be taken away. Everybody always has power. In the training we're receiving, we call it um, personal power. But in Buddhism, we just call it the Four Noble Truths, which is that you have power to do something of benefit, always. <clears throat> so, um, I'm just going to tell you a really off-color story to illustrate something about this. So one of the first things I ever read about Buddhism was a book by uh, Sung San, uh, who's a Korean teacher. And he, he used to teach with letters a lot, because it was, you know, there weren't very many Zen teachers, so you people all over, you didn't have Zoom, you had letters. Can you imagine that? Um, anyway, someone got really frustrated with the way he was teaching, and they said, uh, F you, Sung San, but they didn't say F you. They said something else <laughs> very similar. Um, I'm sitting in this dharma seat, so I'm going to say F you. F you, Sun Sun! And Sun Sun wrote back and he said, Thank you very much for F you, Sun Sun. Thank you very much for that. Someday when you are enlightened, I will give it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, the thing is, here he recognized he, had, he was the person who needed to hold that. And it would be entirely inappropriate as a teacher with the power that he held to return it. So he recognized in that exchange this power differential in a way that I believe was skillful. Having said that, I'm a person, so please don't say F you, Ben. It will make me sad. If, if I'm doing something that you think is harmful or unskillful, I invite you to come talk to me about it. We can have a conversation, and I will do my best to meet you and See if we can find some way to deal with that. <clears throat> um, it's also true, though, that Sung Sang uh, made what I consider, and most people in this day and age consider to be substantial ethics violations. So he was a celibate monk who had taken vows of celibacy, and he had sexual relationships with several students. Both the power differential should make Sexual relationships with students and teachers always off limits, and in this, according to our ethics policy here, they are. But also, he had a vow of celibacy, so that was a twofold ethics violation. So, people are complicated, and this doesn't uh, mean that you know this doesn't diminish the harm that was done by that. Um, one of the nice things is that he did. Um, acknowledge the harm and make efforts to repair it. I don't know to what degree, I don't know the details of the degree to which that repair felt complete to people. Um, but, you know, this is this is real. And of course here at MZMC we have a, our teacher, Kagiri Roshi, who founded this place, who's very beloved by many people who practice with him, deeply beloved, did also have sexual relationships with some of his students, and he was married, he was not celibate. So again, we have a dual ethics violation. And, um, you know, to me, I, is, I just want to be real. We can just talk about what happened and figure out how to make it better. This all came to light after Katagiri had died, so he has no room to make repair now. 
Um, but we have power. All of us. How cool is that? Basic idea of Buddhism, and we don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over again. So, you know, we have trainings for our priests and how to recognize and avoid this stuff. We just had this conference here. We have an ethics policy. If you've never read the MZMC ethics policy, and you are a member here, I really encourage you to read it. It's like two pages long. You'll survive. It's kind of boring, but it's, you know, it's, it's good to just know. And, uh, yeah, so it's important. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I'm just thinking uh, about how good friendship is so valuable. Being close to people that support us in really realizing non-suffering. You know, you have people like that in your life, right? How cool is that? So I actually want to pause and just give an opportunity to use your imaginative and uh, visual capacity to take in that you already know something about good friendship pretty deeply, probably. Or some of you may feel like it's kind of shallow, but it's got to be in there somewhere. So I'm just going to invite you to uh, let your eyes close. And let your attention settle in the body. If you like to use uh, the breath as the foundation of mindfulness of body, that's that's welcome. And I'm just going to encourage you to begin to think of an individual or a series of individuals who um, you feel have really supported and empowered you in your life. And they don't have to have done this perfectly, but just who, who comes to mind if you think of people who have really supported and empowered you? And here trying to kind of focus on that side, so if it's a complicated thing and maybe they did some stuff wrong, you can go, that's not what I'm focusing on right now. <clears throat> and as you do this, you can really um, access the full range of your imaginative capacity. So if it's possible to try and visualize them so you're seeing some kind of mental image of them, uh, that's, that's great. It's not necessary. Some people visualization is, feels really hard. Or you could imagine the sound of them or things they have said to you that were supportive and empowering. Or maybe you can remember a particular circumstance of being with them and really draw to mind the details of that experience in your senses, sight, what you saw, what you heard. 
with this person when you feel supported and empowered by them. And it could be, you could, they could all be hanging out together. So if you have a few people, I guess just like, you're all together. You're just letting in, remembering who they are, how it feels. However you're holding this, whether it's like a visual imagination or sounds or just thinking about it, just see if you can over the next few breaths let the whole process and imagination dissolve into the darkness behind the eyes. again, settle down in the breath and the body. Let's let the eyes open and we can offer a bow. Another Polycanon Sutra, which Bhikkhu Bodhi titles How to Arrive at the Truth. Or it's a little pieces of it, it's kind of a long sutra. <clears throat> There's a little prologue here I can't resist reading. If a person has faith, the Buddha is talking to someone named Bharadvaja. If a person has faith, Bharadvaja, he preserves the truth when he says, My faith is thus. But he does not yet come to the definite conclusion, only this is true, anything else is wrong. So faith, he says, faith is great, and you have faith, and you're doing it well, if you say, I have faith in this. If you say, this is true, because you have faith in it, you are making a mistake. <laughs> that's, a, that's a take on faith that may be different than ones that some of us are familiar with. <clears throat> then he goes on to say, like, 
you don't want to get your idea of truth from if people, someone else approves of something, if you heard it through oral tradition, if it's through reason cogitation, if you've thought about it a lot. He's like, that's not the truth either. It doesn't leave you a lot of options. So then, so it's like, how do you arrive at the truth? That's the, the interlocutor asked the Buddha. How do you arrive at the truth? <clears throat> so he says the first step is to go and find a teacher. <clears throat> and he says, you go to him, or them, she, and investigate them in regard to three kinds of states. You investigate this teacher in regards to states based on greed, in regards to states based on aversion, and in regards to states based on delusion. Then you ask, are there in this teacher any states based on greed, such that with their mind obsessed by those states, they might say something, they might say, I know something, when they don't know it, they might say, I see something, when they don't see it, or they might urge others to act in a way that would lead to their harm and suffering for a long time. So, it might be hard to follow. Here's the point. If you want to find a teacher, the basis on which to find a teacher is you go, is this person appear to be motivated by greed, aversion, and delusion? And if they are not, then they're not a good, if they are, they're not a good teacher. So, guess what? Teachers who are really good at talking a lot, like me, <laughs> I can talk all day. This is not a good basis for determining whether I'm a teacher. You should be investigating me on the basis of whether I do things that are harmful or not. This is the basis that the Buddha gives for making your first inquiry towards the truth. Find a teacher who actually acts in a way that is really beneficial. Sadly, uh, we're, I don't think we're going to find anyone who does this perfectly. Uh, certainly, if you're looking for someone perfect, I'll see you all never. <laughs> I cannot meet you there. I'll do my best. I promise. I promise to really try and act without causing harm. But I'm confident that I will not be able to do that perfectly, so I need your help. So, but this is the basis. We determine the teacher based on the fact that they're not being motivated by the three poisons of desire, aversion, and delusion. And if you find somebody like, it seems like that's not where they're coming from, then uh, it's like, all right, now you have, you can put faith in that person. So this faith isn't like they're absolutely perfect or anything. It's just like, I have enough trust in this person to listen to them and see whether what they're saying is helpful. <clears throat> so and then basically goes through a whole series of things. You have then if this is true, you place faith in them. Filled with faith, you pay respect to them. And you might be like, I don't want to do that. But I'm sorry, I'm sitting on a platform. <laughs> You're if you don't feel like that's true, I certainly feel really honored that you were respecting me. <clears throat> Having paid respect, they give ear. Well, you're listening. So we're just doing this, I guess. Um, when, you, when you give ear, you hear the Dharma. Well, I'm reading the Dharma. This is working out really well. Okay. <laughs> Having heard the Dharma, they memorize and examine the meaning of the teaching. Well, you may not be memorizing it. But I do encourage you to examine it. 
You know, after this, you can go home and be like, did that ring true? Did it not ring true? How does this work for me? <clears throat> if you ponder them and they seem effective to you, you can accept those teachings. And if that happens, desire springs up. When des desire springs up, one applies one will, one's will. So it's like people show up for zazen. It's pretty cool. We encourage each other. Having applied one's will, one strives, strives resolutely. Oh my goodness. I might be kind of scared. I thought, I thought we were doing this like not striving. Well, I've been getting up at 5.05 every Tuesday and Thursday morning for 15 years. And I'll tell you what, I don't always want to get up at 5.05. <laughs> it takes a little bit of energy. And you don't have to do that. You get to pick what your striving is. But liberation is not really going to occur in this lifetime without some effort. I don't think so. <clears throat> oh, through resolutely striving, one realizes with the body the supreme truth. Wow! All right. That's how you discover the truth. Through striving and practice in the body, you discover the truth. This is not something that you're going to figure out with your mind. It's not something that's going to be an escape from the here and now. It's going to be right here in this freaky little skin bag that we find what the Buddha calls truth. And I can't go too far into this, but basically the idea is what the truth means in Buddhism is freedom from suffering. To see the truth is to see this moment exactly as it is and be free from suffering. It's a different idea of truth than we have in the West. I think most Western cultural ideas. This is consistent throughout Buddhism. We're not seeing what's real. We're not seeing the truth. So we suffer and it's possible for us in this body, in this moment, to see what is real and create freedom from suffering. <clears throat> So I thought of like a little slogan for this talk, which, because you know you got to do the striving, but you know you need these relationships, right? So you need that good friend, uh, but you need to do the practice. Let's go, right? So this is my little slogan: You, no one can do it for you. You cannot do it alone. No one can do it for you, and you cannot do it alone. So in the Dhammapada it says, all the effort must be made by you. Buddhas only show the way. Follow the path, practice meditation, go beyond the power of death. Wow. Alright. It's like at the same time, it's like this sutra is saying the whole path is good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. The whole thing. Even as you make that effort, ultimately. It is only relationship that's happening. So both are true. No one can do it for you. You can't do it alone. You certainly can't do it alone because aloneness is an illusion. The universe is showing up right now and creating the illusion that there's a me that's separate from you. 
well, how about that, universe? Amazing. I could be like, oh, it's terrible. It's making me feel alienated. But I could just be like, wow, it's like this. Now it's like this. I'm really ornery. Wow, ornery Ben. I'm not ornery right now. <laughs> Sometimes I'm ornery. Wow. <clears throat> so, good friendship is the whole of the noble life. And you know, I'm talking about this, but I feel like I'm just observing what's actually happening. So when I come to this place, what I see is people doing really beautiful, wholesome relationships. And supporting each other, and enjoying each other, making mistakes, and making repair. It's pretty cool. And people do this a lot of other places. It's not like the only place you can do this is in here, I hope. But I hang out here a lot. So... This is what I'm noticing here. <clears throat> Everyone can be our friend on the path. You meet anyone, you could be like, wait a minute. From you, I could learn how to live this path better. This is really true for people who you find extremely annoying. <laughs> They're wonderful friends to meet and be like, you're like that. I'm like this. I can do something that will help us be more free. Wow. Wow. All right, well, thank you.